Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting Dota Birds and Leaky Black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And rest in peace, Arizona's undefeated record. There's a list of things that do not last forever. Kim and Kanye, cold November rain, and Tommy Lloyd's perfect record as a head coach final score wednesday night inside thompson bowling arena tennessee 77 arizona 73 the wildcats are no longer undefeated trivia time dead leg how many undefeated teams do we still have in division one college basketball men's side right now this is not a viable trivia time this is too easy but i'll take it can you answer five you you want to know who they are can you name them in alphabetical order baylor Colorado State, uh, Baylor, Colorado State, Ellis, Baylor, Colorado State, Iowa State, LSU, USC. Ding, ding, ding. Can you name the sixth leading score for each team? The sixth leading score. Do I look like John Rothstein? You do not look like John Rothstein. By the way, hello to YouTube. We're going festive here. What, what's up, YouTube? What's up, YouTube? Thanks to everyone that's watching live. We're going to open with Arizona, Tennessee. There will be happy Festivus. There will be grievances. There will be trivia time. There will be giveaways later on the show. I've got some trivia time questions about college hoops and about this very podcast about Gary Parrish. Be sure Mm. to like the video right now. Click that thumbs up if you're watching even after it's live. Smash it. Smash it. Smash it. Go ahead and smash it, and we appreciate you checking in. This is our final episode before christmas so everyone watching live we appreciate you if you're listening on your christmas eve commute we appreciate you as well parish show before we get into arizona tennessee i don't want to wait any longer go ahead and show the people what you're wearing right now you're gonna have to stand up and show what like you might think oh parish has got like a he's got a christmas sweater on that's kind of cool why don't you really show him what is <laughs> ladies and gentlemen that is a crying jordan santa ugly christmas sweater we love it. I'm just going typical, like, ski time. Let's go, baby. He's got the Crying Jordan. I love it. Happy Festivus to you, buddy. I, I, I bought this when Crying Jordan was a thing, and I think today is the first time I've ever worn it. Okay. <laughs> I forgot I had it, and then I remembered it, and now here we are. Yeah, I've got my my sister-in-law, like, five years ago, she gave me a gag gift that said, all I want for Christmas is you. Just kidding. It's Dave Matthews. And there's a picture of Dave Matthews. I've worn that shirt maybe once ever. Maybe I'll wear it on our next show after Christmas because I never wear like, well, why am I ever going to wear this shirt? But maybe I'll wear it on the next one. Uh, it's kind of like a similar uh, style to that one. But uh, yeah, 
I had a plan to have all these like uh, interesting shirts for the uh, podcast live on YouTube. And the truth is the way I position my camera, you can't really see my shirts ever. But we can see your shirts and we so like I don't you know, I don't know uh oh, well, that would be a view. <laughs> hey, take a look at this. That would be quite the view. <laughs> that, that's how you get fired. That's how you get fired on Zoom. Start messing with your camera angle. I I'm not I'm not trying to Jeffrey Tube in my career, no. you know, if you know if you know what I mean. So Absolutely. um so I was gonna buy I've got them all bookmarked. There was a leaky black shirt I was gonna buy and a Metro Conference shirt I was going to buy, and a Campbell Fighting Campbell shirt I was going to buy. And then I was like, I, nobody ever sees anything that I wear, so I just wear white T-shirts every time. That's I know. That's fair. I know. But you, you get the webcam. Like, I'm not going on my uh, – we don't get anything. It's the nitty-gritty, but I'm not on my uh, my laptop camera. I'm on, like, a steady webcam, so I got a little bit more of an aspect ratio. Are you familiar with the aspect ratio, GP? Um, I don't know anything about an aspect Not at all. Ratio. all I, right. know, I know how people get ratioed sometimes on Twitter – um that is true like it happens seems to happen to darren Ravel all the time <laughs> but 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 i don't i don't know what you're talking about it is a festivist episode with a quickness here we will get to plenty of christmas conversations and trivia time in a little bit here but yeah arizona tennessee um good game i it wasn't a tremendously well officiated game but i didn't i don't know i didn't come away from that one being like this you know this is a desecration upon <laughs> the profession of officiating i thought tennessee deserved to win and arizona played well was able to come back and hang close and it wind up getting a loss and no shame in it arizona fans would take 11 and 1 in the first year under tommy lloyd in the non-conference every single time they'll take a one loss non-conference season every single season so it just so happened to come here on the road arizona's next games as we've mentioned previously against ucla usc and then arizona state so we'll see how bumpy this does get on the ledger for the wildcats but tennessee with a great win no shame in it with arizona i'll have my power rankings go up later on thursday and they're a little bit different than Parrish's daily rankings uh, in terms of like, you know, I, I tend to reward winning streaks a little bit more, but I don't like kill you for a loss. So I'll still have Arizona in the top 10. Like I think I still, do you have the Arizona still in the top 10? Cause I think they should be. I dropped them. How I, dropped, uh, I dropped them one spot below Tennessee. The Arizona Wildcats uh, are 14th in the updated top 25 and one. Here's the truth. Strong computer numbers. Gotcha. Um, Who have they beaten? They've got uh, Illinois not bad. The fact that you can't answer that question quickly proves my point. Well, no, I mean, Illinois on the road. Like, I don't think they deserve to be knocked for falling by four on the road against Tennessee. Uh, As we speak this morning, Arizona is still seven and Ken Palm. Tennessee is nine. No, I listen. I hear you. um, But like I've explained before, whether this is right or wrong, it's all subjective. But um, I don't worry about how far you drop or how high you move up. I worry about where you should be slotted. And, um, you know, er- when I when I say who have they beaten, I'm not trying to be dismissive of the start that they had. They, they've been terrific. They've been terrific. But like, we don't know how good Michigan is and we don't know how good Illinois is. And those are their two, two big wins. Those are the type of wins that sound incredible. Like if you tell you you're going to get them on October 23rd, if somebody says you realize you're going to beat Michigan and win at Illinois, you're like, woo. But on December 23rd, it's like, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see how good those wins are because Michigan has been disappointing this season and Illinois, uh, to some degree, has also been disappointing this season. So when you look at, okay, what has Arizona actually done relative to what we think we know about the sport at this moment, um, it, it sounds better than what it actually is, 
when you're trying to put bullet points next to these big victories. But to be clear, um, they've been terrific, and I've still got them in the top 15. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Arizona was leading the nation in uh, points per game and win margin for a good while. That's no longer the case, but they're still in the top five uh, in both of those metrics there. So, it, again, these are these have been good gains and they're it's still a very, very fun team to, to watch. Benedict Matherin, um, I did a player of the year kind of like, you know, personal straw poll, if you will, almost a week ago for the site. And Matherin was my last cut because at the time. I had Oscar Sheboy, who we'll get to in a little bit here. I put him in because he was averaging, you know, north of 15 and 15 and, and still is. Uh, but if I had to redo that today, even with the loss here, I, I'd have Matherin in. I mean, he's been he's been outstanding. He's he's become, you know, Kirk Reese has got a little bit of a mouth on him and he's uh, plays with real swag. And we love that about him. Uh, and I think he got it. He got a tech last and he night. didn't deserve it. Yeah, that was a little. Uh, yeah, that was bad. That was that was again. By no means should any of those officials be looking uh, or hoping that, you know, J.D. Collins, who runs NCAA officiating, has to review all the stuff to see if you even get into the NCAA tournament as a ref. That tape last night will not be submitted. They got to hope that, that that's not watched there. Um, but, uh, yeah, but like we're, we're in a tight game between two elite teams. Stay out of it. I mean, listen, if somebody gets fouled, call the foul. It, 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 but but like you don't have to give that technical foul there. In fact, you shouldn't have. And I'm not saying that decided the game. But uh, that was at a key moment of the game. It didn't need to happen. I, I agree. Um, point I was going to make with those between Carissa and then Matherin. Uh, very, very fun team to watch. Now, as for Tennessee, big time win. Tennessee's now 9-2. and two. Its losses have come against Villanova on a neutral uh, and did not look good whatsoever. I was at that game at Mohegan Sun and then lost truly the most hideous game I've seen this entire season this was all of, uh, what, two and a half weeks ago when they played Texas Tech in the Jimmy V. That was that overtime game that ended in the 50s. But, uh, you know, they were just they were struggling to get above 40 in regulation. It was it was terrible here. But now Tennessee has wins on the neutral over a North Carolina team that's, you know, I think headed toward the NCAA tournament, but it's not top tier, top shelf. UNC's not ranked right now. Uh, they won at Colorado, which is going to wind up probably being quad two win, I would think. And then they have the home win over Arizona. Um, they're going to turn around and open league play in, in a week against Alabama. We'll obviously preview and talk about that game once we get closer to it next week there. But I thought a, a significant win for Rick Barnes's Tennessee group, which now ranks second in defensive efficiency at Ken Palm and got a wonderful game out of John Fulkerson. It was one of the best games he's had uh, in, in a Tennessee uniform. And uh, between what he was able to do, because here's the thing. Kennedy Chandler had kind of like a pedestrian type of game. This is what I want to see out of Tennessee. I think Chandler's going to really grow into his own and wind up being uh, not just a must-see player, but a pivotal player for Tennessee to have a chance to win the SEC. Uh, on on Wednesday night, Chandler was – he was just okay. In fact, he got away with he the He was travel. bad. We, we don't have to lie about it. He was not good. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. You know what, <laughs> Festivus, let's just <laughs> – I got a lot of problems with you players, and now you're going to hear about it. So Chandler was not good. He was terrible. Didn't deserve to wear the uniform. You heard GP, the whole deal there. But be, even despite that and playing a team that, you know, still top 15 level objectively in Arizona, they are able to win. I think that's a really good sign. And Fulkerson was was terrific. He was 8 of 13 from the floor, 8 of 12 from the line, uh, had 10 boards, 24 points. Again, he's, uh, he's put up a nice career there. He's a veteran, and it was nice to see him uh, – put up the kind of game that he needs to put up kind of frankly more frequently to ensure that Tennessee's, you know, at, at that top 10, top 15 level as well. 
Kennedy, uh, he was two of fourteen from the field. I mean, that's my little homie from Memphis, but he it was not one of his better performances uh, against Arizona. I thought there was some interesting comments from Jimmy Dykes on the call. He said that you know at shoot around, and he also noticed during the game Kennedy didn't really talk a lot, and he is. You know, I've known him for a few years now. He's kind of a quiet guy. He's got a quiet demeanor to him. And that's not always ideal for a point guard, you know, for the guy who's supposed to be your best player and lead your team. Um, you know, you, you don't have to be Chris Paul, you know, yelling at everybody all the time. Um, but it's, you know, if you ask any coach, you would prefer that your point guard is is vocal. And I thought it was interesting that Jimmy Dykes pointed out um, like at shoot around he wasn't in the game he doesn't appear to be um, for what it's worth um, one of the quietest basketball players I've ever been around consistently when he was a, a freshman in college is Derek Rose and he went on to be an MVP like Derek said nothing hadn't like it, it was a perfectly kind young man just had nothing to say um, and he was still unbelievable so this isn't something that prevents you from being great but it is something that Jimmy Dykes picked up on that um, I suspect Rick Barnes and that staff are, are talking to Kennedy about. He will be there. He is their best player, and he will be their best player, and he will obviously get better uh, as the season progresses. But um, in this Arizona game, he you know he struggled a bit. Um, I think you make a great point. They just beat Arizona with their best player not struggling. Like that's a great sign, and a big part of it, like you pointed out, was John Fulkerson. I named him the preseason SEC Player of the Year last season. Last season, <laughs> yes, and then he averaged. 9.5 points and 5.5 rebounds as a normal senior. But now he's a super senior, and he was terrific. 24 points, 10 rebounds. I saw this last night from Wes Rucker, uh, who, of course, works for Go Falls 247. He's terrific. Uh, he's in the pre post-game press conference. Did you see this? Oh. Somebody, somebody asked John Fulkerson, when was the last time – the question was more or less something like this. When was the last time you felt unstoppable like you were against Arizona tonight? And he said, last night on Fortnite. Oh, yeah. Last night on Fortnite, I was unstoppable. <laughs> I love that quote. That's wonderful. Uh, highly accurate. By the way, never played Fortnite. Never been in a room when Fortnite's been played. Oh, yet. my God. My kids yeah. are on it, boy. I can't tell you how much money I've spent on V-Bucks. Holy. No idea what that is, but uh, my youngins are still uh, too young to be getting into that life. So I know Fortnite's a huge thing. And what do you buy? Skins and all that stuff? Man, v, you buy, you got you gotta to buy, buy V-Bucks. And then you, you use the V-Bucks to buy you skins. Yeah. And my little guys both have Nintendo Switches, and they are on Fortnite. They play together. And it's like my, my middle guy's seven, my little guy's five. And like there's a big difference in video game capabilities between the age of five and seven. And my little guy gets so frustrated with it because he just gets popped all the time. But, but I, I, can't, I don't even want to put a number on it, how much money I've spent on V-Bucks over the past year. It was like a, it was like a every Saturday thing for a while. Like, Dad, it's Saturday. Remember, we get V bucks on Saturday. That was my deal. If you act right, get you some V bucks on Saturday. And them them dudes can't keep track of anything, but they always knew when it was Saturday, boy. Woo. That ain't my life right now, and I am quite uh, happy. I got nothing else on Tennessee, Arizona. Nice win for Tennessee, by the way. Arizona, which was a scorching hot offensive team coming in, only held to 21 first-half points. That was a season low. So congrats to the Vols who looked, uh, well, let's put it this way. They looked eager, ready, adroit, and coming off that non-game, the no game against Memphis, they, they were they wanted, a, they wanted a chance at someone, and it really showed there. So congrats to Tennessee, and uh, should have a Merry Christmas in the Knoxville area.
So Dead Legs Court Report column, uh, it published on Wednesday, focused on various conferences forfeit policies. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Deadlegs Court Report column on Wednesday focused on various conferences, uh, forfeit policies. You talked to um, a whole bunch of conference commissioners, I think nearly a dozen. What did you, I mean, I know what you learned. I read the story, but, but, but this is how we do it on the podcast. What did you learn while you were reporting the court report? All right. So not if you could do a solid and link this in the episode description for if people are going to listen to this and they want to read it. Uh, it is a little long, but this is what the Omicron variant's doing to us. Um, so, yeah, I talked to about a dozen commissioners, almost everyone in the power conference structure. I couldn't get Kevin Warren of the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't play games in league play again until January 2nd. So there's not the same amount of urgency to update its forfeit policy the way that other leagues have at the moment. But. You know, I think the big story on Wednesday in college sports, well, it was one, Texas A&M now can't play in the Gator Bowl because it's had an outbreak. So the, the issue college basketball has, has had has inevitably jumped to college football. And then the other thing was just everything tied to the Omicron variant and how college basketball's had. I mean, as we speak right now, I think we're 56, 57 teams that have had to go on pause. In reality, it's probably a couple more. There might be a couple of teams that are technically on pause right now. They just haven't announced it because they're not playing a game. There's no reason to do it. So um, the number continues to rise. And so uh, with all this, we, we talked about this a little on the Tuesday episode, but the need for forfeits to no longer be league policy has been activated. You had the ACC reverse its rule. You had uh, the Big 12 and the Big West technically were the first ones to do it. They voted on that Tuesday. And then the ACC, the Pac-12, the Mountain West did it. There have been some other leagues. The Big South has done it. There's been a, there's a lot of leagues, but not, not every league, which was interesting to learn. The American Athletic Conference, the Atlantic 10, the Missouri Valley, and the WAC all have discussed and passed for now revoking their forfeit policies. And I spoke with Missouri Valley Commissioner Jeff Jackson, and I spoke with WAC Commissioner Brian Thornton and A-10 Commissioner Bernadette McGlade about all of this. And some of it is the past like five days have been so insanely noisy and, and topsy-turvy. Uh, let's just make absolutely sure because the other side of this is that, and Jeff Jackson told me uh, more about this. He said, listen, if you want to get rid of it, that, that's fine. If you get rid of the forfeit policy, the absolute most crucial detail to this season that was not true last season, last season, conference scheduling was specifically built 
with having rescheduled games in mind. You knew it was going to happen. You had back-to-backs. You had travel partners in some leagues. So there was there were mechanisms in place to help replace a lot of games. And that's why actually last season, a lot of power conferences and a lot of leagues, even though we lost games, a lot of them were made up because the schedule allowed for it. That is not the case this season. The schedule was built as though we weren't still in the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes, that we wouldn't be losing games. Reminder, your boy right here, humongous idiot. I mean, all time bad call under 0.5 forfeits this season. Horrendous. Okay. But this is really bad. That was really bad. I mean, just, but I'm not going to play that audio again. (laughs) I brought you down with me on that. If you recall. Um, So anyway, Jeff Jackson was saying you are going to have effects with all these teams. Let's say team a can't play. Okay. And you're going to say, okay, now it's a no contest. We'll try and reschedule team B can play. And then you're going to try and reschedule. Then it could affect team C and team D and then team E, because you're going to try and put all these pieces together when you don't have the schedule to do it. So what actually might wind up happening is you lose even more conference games because of this. And your standings are just as much of a mess. Having the forfeit rule in place isn't perfect, but it also takes the gamesmanship element off the table. And by that, I mean, as Parrish, no doubt has heard from coaches as well, there is no shortage. It's not an overriding sentiment, but there's no shortage of cynicism over teams not playing games and coaches having no way of proving that uh, that the other team legitimately can't field a team. I had a coach tell me last night, he said, I, I quoted him because I'm not going to show you the coach, but this is the quote. He said, first of all, we got bleeped out on four or five games last year, and now I know that's going to happen again. This is a coach in a league that's forfeit rule got reversed. He said, I'm telling you right now, teams will duck games. I don't think we need to go backward here. Are we always going to cancel games going forward? Are we just going to keep pulling kids out? When is this going to stop? Will it change next year? Do we have any promises that it won't? His point is this. You can have situations where there might be teams, depending on where they are in the standings and how the schedule lines up, say, you know what? Like, we don't have three starters, you know? So let's just say it's it's just health and safety, school protocols. Because what's happening is the team that doesn't wind up playing, they don't have to be completely transparent with the other team about who's not playing and why Jeff Jackson did say there is uh, and you have to attest each team doctor has to attest that that's the case. Like in theory, the team doctor is removed from the coach and all that stuff, but it was a good, it was a good point. You take the gamesmanship off the table. The forfeit is still there. You know, the schedule, no matter what. And so I'll just tag it with this. It's a long story. We haven't even got to the other elements, Uh, but he said, it's not like we're, not going to readdress this in two weeks if we don't need to. But this idea that you don't have a case against keeping the forfeit on the table is not entirely true, particularly because we believe we'll get a a number of teams that will get fully boosted. And hopefully this issue won't be as prominent in three weeks as it is now. It was, it was interesting kind of both sides of the case there. I would take forfeits off, but I understand why some leagues aren't yet. I, um, my perspective after talking, not so much yesterday, but, you know, over the past, you know, eight, nine months, you know, through last season and and throughout the offseason was that you're right. There is a perception among coaches that people were gaming the system to get out of games. When you talk to people who work in conference offices, they're less sure of that. Like, you know, what 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 conference administrators will tell you is that coaches are paranoid and they they always believe somebody's trying to get over on them. 
uh, tr- it, it probably happens somewhere sometime, but not nearly as often as the coaches think that it happened. Um, you know, wh- wh- who's right, who's wrong, I don't know. But I, I, from, from my conversations, coaches, coaches' perception of how much people were trying to get over doesn't line up with conference administrators' perception of how often uh, teams were trying to get over and get out of games for whatever reason. Um, listen, I understand it's complicated, and reasonable people can disagree on this. I, I would just forever argue uh, I- I'm trying to avoid worst-case scenario. And the worst case scenario for me is having uh, is making a team that's 100% vaccinated um, forfeit a game because they had breakthrough cases that were unavoidable because we're dealing with a variant that is uh, more contagious than anything we've ever seen. I think that's the worst thing that can happen here. So let's do what, what we can do to avoid that. And, you know, let's uh, perhaps there's no perfect way to make sure everybody is being transparent and honest, but. I mean, Jesus, at some point we got to trust somebody, you know, and can we trust the doctors who are making these decisions? Like if the doctor says you can play, then go play. And if the doctor says you can't play, then then don't go play. And yes, I'm, I'm sure somewhere, um, uh, you know, it, 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 somebody will get over on somebody else. Like, OK, fine. I, I'd rather have that happen somewhere sometime than watch fully vaccinated teams have to forfeit games. Um, and and by extension, perhaps cost themselves a chance at a conference championship um, because of breakthrough cases that they they could not avoid. I don't feel sorry for unvaccinated teams that have to shut down and forfeit. If you told me there was a way to make the unvaccinated teams forfeit and let the fully vaccinated teams um, not, I would say yes. That's what I'm for. If you if you can't get your team fully vaccinated or close to it, and you have to shut down, then that's on you. That's a failure in leadership. But if you're fully vaccinated and you still got to shut down because of breakthrough cases, because we're just living in a in an unprecedented time, I don't feel like a forfeit should be the 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 byproduct of that. Yeah, uh, as we record this Thursday morning, I would expect a couple more conferences to announce that they're going to walk back their forfeit rule. I will also add the Pac-12 has has a wrinkle, though. The Pac-12 still has it has a forfeit on the table. Again, this is where it gets a little bit. A little bit tricky, but the Pac-12 is leaving open the possibility for forfeits if, in the judgment of the league office, uh, the spirit of sportsmanship, I think is how they're calling it. Basically, like if if the league has reason to believe that a team has not played a game when it otherwise could have, then they can still assess a forfeit to a team. So that threat still looms right. in the Pac-12. But these other forfeits are now off the table. Like Washington had to take a forfeit loss because it couldn't reschedule against UCLA. That's now... UCLA doesn't have that league win. Washington doesn't have that league loss. Um, there were reports on Wednesday that the Big East rescinded it. That seems inevitable. I checked in with one source who was like, eh, it's going to happen. It's just maybe not technically there yet. But I think the Big East is going to announce that on Thursday. Whatever. Those are going to the Seton Hall ones, the DePaul ones. Those will be off the books. The ACC, Wake Forest had a win. BC had a loss. Those are off the books. Uh, and again, it's important to know going forward that the, you're going to hear postponed, I think. You're not going to hear canceled. Because uh, you're going to have an attempt to reschedule the game. Now, we'll see if these conferences get into a situation four days from now, eight days from now, 14 days from now, where you lose four or five games in a 24-hour span. It's like, where are we putting these things? Again, the TV inventory, they don't have a lot of flexibility. The Pac-12 is different because the Pac-12 has travel partners and Thursday-Saturday games. So the Pac-12 actually has this Monday-Tuesday window where it can fill in games. It's in a better spot than, say, 
the ACC or the Big East or the Big 12, which will have a game on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Saturday kind of deal. It just doesn't have quite as much there. So expect a January that's going to have plenty of postponements that turn into cancellations, irregular conference standings. And I will be interested to see if we have those leagues that have the forfeit rules still in the books. And if we have more that still have forfeit rules that ultimately not decide not to change it. It's not like we got one. We got four of them. Um, how those look at the end of the season, because in speaking with those commissioners of those leagues that are sticking with this for now, they all agree that like what we don't want to have happen, and we will you know, essentially take action if it does, is we don't want to have a situation where a team suddenly has like six, five or six of its league wins have come by forfeit. The forfeit rule was put in place with the best of intentions, and the intentions were – no one knew there was going to be an Omicron variant, and it was a way to encourage vaccination, spread good word on public health, and tell teams, listen, if everyone else is vaccinated and you know you are protected against positive cases, that was the idea, right? And now Omicron's just changed the dynamic of everything, and so that's the forfeit side of it. You got a thought, or can I get to the other half of the? Course? Well, I would just put in like the the policy that's been floating around because, like, I I wouldn't want to leave it up to we think we can play, we think we can't play. Like, well, we're not gonna. Play. I don't want that. I I think the one that I, I've I've seen floated, and I believe implemented with some conferences is if you've got seven, you have a roster. That's also going to be across the board, right? Yes. Right. You you have a roster now, and in in walk ons are a part of your team, so they count. If yeah. you have, if you don't want them to be a part of your team, kick them off your team. But as long as they're on your roster, they're part of your team. You got seven healthy players and one healthy coach. You can play the game. I would draw that line as strict as that. And because I, what I wouldn't want to ever get into is, all right, we're missing our seventh leading score and ninth leading score. We could play. We're losing. We're losing our top two scores. We can't play. There, no. I'm telling you, man, that cynicism exists. And that's why I draw the line. If yeah. you've got seven, if your doctor, and again, at some point on this stuff, we just got to trust somebody, right? I know. And, and if your doctor, if all the paperwork's in and every all the tests are back and you've got seven healthy players and one coach, you're going, you're going to go play the game. And, it, it, you know, if you have to play it without your top two scores, uh, you know, that's that's too bad, you know, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, it's called the seven and one rule, although the Big 12 has six and one. All you need is six ACC Pac-12. I believe the Pac-12, I believe I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I think the Pac-12, you have to have seven scholarship players. The ACC, it's seven players, period. Like if you've got four scholarships and three walk ons, you got seven. You're playing, which again, <laughs> I would make it seven, seven humans who are on your yeah, roster. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if they're on scholarship or not. I'm not happy about this idea that, you you know, we have two scholarships of those seven, but whatever. And then the A-10 has the highest threshold. The A-10 is actually eight, eight and one. Um, so there's that. Okay, the other element to this, and again, we'll link this story in uh, today's podcast description, is January is going to be rickety, no doubt about it. We're not going to avoid that. Uh, fortunately, it seems like a lot of teams that have players eligible to get boosted now, they're after six months, they're trying to get it done now so that, you know, by the time we get to the first week, second week of January, breakthrough cases are just less likely. But there becomes this issue where, and this is going to actually potentially affect the college football playoff, which is super interesting uh, and highly unfortunate, of course. What do you do about the testing situation with all these teams? Because there's not uniform testing. So Mike Krzyzewski said over the weekend, he like Duke is back to daily testing, and he wants it to be a case like last season when there weren't vaccines available to everyone. 
uh, where teams test the day before, the night before, and then team doctors share information, then they know going in the next day, you're good to go. That is not happening everywhere. And it has been happening, as I mentioned, I think on a previous podcast, like a lot of teams were not testing at all for two months because they had a fully vaccinated roster. And no one was presenting symptoms. There have been other teams. I did talk to a couple of coaches where they say, nah, the way it works here, man, is like, we're, I had one coach tell me he had everyone except one player vaccinated, but the university policy is they have tested once a week every week since school started. So it's different everywhere, right? The question becomes, and the NFL and the NBA are dealing with all of this, is every pretty much everyone agrees that if you show symptoms and you test positive, regardless of your status of vaccination, you need to sit, obviously. If you are, if you are a member of a team and that happens and you're unvaccinated, you immediately go into contact tracing, obviously. But if you are asymptomatic and you are two shots, and particularly if you are boosted, as Adam Silver talked about with the NBA, because the, the great thing about the NBA is it's got all this money to use on testing. It's monitoring its its population of thousands of people between players and employees. It's got like real functional data that is supremely helpful on this. Adam Silver said earlier on ESPN this week, listen, 90% of our cases are Omicron. It's ridiculous how quickly Omicron has taken over the country. Um, we didn't know this was a thing five weeks ago. And in a week's time, it went from like 5% of cases in the country to 73%. It's absurd how transmissible Omicron is. But the relative good news is on an individual basis, it, it, it doesn't look like it would be as damaging as Delta, right? Um, but because it spread so fastly, so quickly from a societal standpoint, it's actually just as damaging. That's why our hospitals overrun and we need to keep that in mind. But what Adam Silver said was, we are seeing very few instances where boosted people have had a breakthrough case or even have symptoms. So what these schools are going to have to decide, because this isn't an NCAA rule um, until we get to postseason play again, it's all schools and conferences and local decisions. Will you choose to test asymptomatic vaccinated or boosted players? Because some schools say one positive test in your program, everyone gets tested. Some schools are one positive test. We contact trace some might, some not in other programs. Um, like for example, with Georgia Tech, although it wound up going on pause, Georgia Tech had a couple players test positive. The boosted players on the roster and fully vaccinated did not have to test because they weren't symptomatic. Uh, subsequent tests put them in. But if you're going to have that situation, you are less likely to lose games. The NCAA is following CDC guidelines. We also have to talk about quarantines and isolations. It's a very knotty, thorny, complex issue here. But the bottom line is, um, the more that teams test asymptomatic vaccinated and boosted players, because Omicron is good at puncturing, particularly two shot vaxxed players, uh, you're just more likely to have more positive tests, players sit, lose more games. And it could really just, you know, it could desecrate the schedule in January. And if that's what, it, that's what happens, that's what happens. But college basketball and the NCAA need to, figure out what they're going to do here. One last thing. I know I'm kind of going long on this, but again, it's, it's this, these are the conversations that everyone is having around college sports and they're going to matter as it pertains to what we talk about on this podcast and college sports, college football. The last well, thing is this NCAA had a call on Wednesday with its chief medical officer and medical advisory, and then a representative, at least one from every single conference. NCAA has always followed CDC guidelines. And right now the CDC guidelines is if you're boosted or fully vaccinated and you test positive for COVID, you go into isolation for 10 days. There is an expectation that the CDC is going to reduce that number to five or seven at some point in the next two or three weeks, hopefully. Um, but there's no guarantee it'll happen. But the NBA is 
showing and suggesting data that you don't need to be 10 days. It can be five or seven and that you can test out of quarantine. The NFL has changed its rules. And so the big curiosity right now in college sports is this. You got the college football playoff coming up in what? Nine days here. Georgia's got COVID issues. Christmas is right here. What if you have one of these teams, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, Georgia, where they've got significant players that are fully vaxxed, maybe even boosted, test positive, right? Would a conference relying on its own medical group choose to follow the science from the NBA or the NFL and not wait on the CDC change and go out of step with the NCAA to create its own protocol? So theoretically, again, theoretically, a team could get its player out of quarantine in five or seven days instead of having to wait 10. And that difference in days is the difference between those players playing in a football game or not. And how will that impact college basketball going forward? Very interesting to keep an eye on because there's going to be more coming in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it was interesting. The college football playoff announced yesterday that the semifinals will be played on New Year's Eve. And if somebody can't play, uh, they just forfeit. And if both teams can't play, then the other semifinal is the national championship game. And if three of the four teams can't play, then the the healthy team, the lone healthy team, is your national champion. Please do not let us get there, man. That would just be horrendous. Terrible. But, yes, anyway, keep going. Yeah. Um, I will say from the you, – you mentioned how coaches are sen- – um, uh, how cynicism is is very much a thing among coaches, that everybody's doing this. The, I, I, what I hear from coaches is that, you know, they all tell you we're doing it the right way. But but let me tell you who's not doing it the right way, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't always use names. But here's one story I heard was that um, coach told me that he heard, and so like take this for whatever it's worth. But coaches are now realized. I think most coaches were optimistic, like we were, that if we get our teams vaccinated, we're going to be fine. And now we're finding out you're not. You're just not fine, or, you, or you're you're at least um, potentially not fine. And one coach told me he heard that. You know, the, the way you're supposed to do it is if a player has symptoms or isn't feeling well, you need to tell somebody immediately and then you need to test immediately. I had a coach tell me he heard a coach um, was instead t- telling that player to go home. Just just go home, skip practice today, and let's hope that you feel better tomorrow. And if you don't feel better tomorrow, let's hope you feel better the next day. In other words, don't test them. Just get them out of there, but don't test them. Because if the test comes back positive, it would trigger more test, and then the, that could trigger a shutdown. Yeah, and that, by the way, that is a, a, a suspensionable offense at 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 the very least from the coach. Just to state the obvious, there. That's I under I, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that that's happening. Uh, can't be can't be operating like that in a pandemic though. Not when our hospitals are overrun, and you got to know if you think you are sick, you have to know if you're if you if you've been infected. But I know I know the purpose you're saying for the story. Mm-hmm. I'm not endorsing this whatsoever. That, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely crappy behavior. And it wouldn't shock me to learn that there are coaches that are actually doing that. What a mess, man. Is this the dumbest pandemic or not? People kept questioning me over the past, you know, two years saying this was the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Is there any, are there any, anybody disagreeing with me now? You were on this early. Um, I, was on, I was on this early. You were on this very early. We'll wrap up the COVID stuff, but I'll just share a, a quick a quote from Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 commissioner. He said, anybody that thinks we're going to be able to put a policy in place and it's guaranteed to help us manage basketball throughout the season without issues is delusional. <laughs> Bob Bowlesby also told me he wasn't buying into the drama. Bowlesby, great interview. Uh, he was he was insightful. In fact, he also said, because I followed up with him on it after he told me this, he said he thought the NBA and NFL data 
were going to lead for college sports in the next couple of weeks there. Again, the question is purely hypothetical. We, you know, it's determined behind the scenes that Alabama will have seven, seven of its 22 starters that can't play in the semifinal. Would the SEC with its own medical group be in contact with the NFL, with the NBA and say, the data here for boosted players suggests that isolation can be cleared after five days, granted that the tests are negative instead of 10. And if they think, I, I'd just be interested to see if we get there. Or if we're in the middle of January, there's no CDC update to guidelines. The NCAA is not going to change until the CDC does. We know that's the case. Would any conference change? I don't know. We'll uh, we'll wait and see on that right now. But yes, it's going to be, it's going to be, um, Plenty noisy. Again, there's more in the story in the corporate report. You can go read it. And um, there we are. Right, you want to talk a little more hoops before we get to the Christmas goodies? Yeah. And I, I would make this note because I get some pushback on this uh, on radio sometimes, too. Like, you know, it's a lot of COVID talk and protocols and testing and and, uh, you know, Omicron. And um, the truth is, this is the dominant story in sports. It just is. It's the dominant story in college football right now. It's the dominant story in college basketball right now. It's the dominant story in the NBA, in the NFL. Like, there's no way, there's no intelligent way to avoid this. I mean, I guess you could just say we're not going to talk about it and do it. But, like, you know, if that's what you want, I'm, I'm sure there's a podcast out there for you. Uh, I'm sure somebody's doing that. Um, I'm more interested. And this is the reason why we decided years ago that it would just be me and Deadleg talking every day or, you know, three times a week. Uh, no guest. Um, no third person, uh, so that we could pick out the biggest things, topics in the sport that we think are interesting and then discuss them. Um, it's sometimes in a goofy way, sometimes in a serious way. And, um, it, it seems to have worked. And so that's what we continue to do. And there's just no getting around, um, the impact that COVID specifically the Omicron variant is having on the sport right now. You know, he and I both talk to people every day in this sport and the conversations every time um, either start with this or end with this. They, but they, they, they get there at some point. This is the truth is we probably should have led on it today, but I just didn't want to uh, because I wanted I'm to glad, leave. I'm glad we didn't. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, we didn't. Yeah, but it's the, it's, you know, unfortunately it's the biggest, um, it's the biggest topic in the sport. I hope that uh, someday it won't be. Um, let's bounce around a little bit. Alabama mm -hmm. is now one and two in its past three games with losses to Memphis and, and Davidson uh, lost a, 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 a game two nights ago um, uh, by a point to Bob McKillop's Wildcats. Are you concerned at all about the Crimson Tide? Mm, I think there's reason for a little bit of concern, although, you, you know, coaches will tell you that playing Davidson on that kind of turnaround, uh, you're kind of flirting with fire there. Reminder, Alabama was supposed to play Colorado State. Colorado State is in COVID pause. Davidson was supposed to play Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago is in COVID pause. So these teams were looking for an opponent. They agree to come together. Davidson flies out to Birmingham, wins 79-78, and Bama almost stole it in the final minute there. But Davidson gets the win. By the way, Davidson now has the best chance at an at-large of anyone currently sitting in the A-10 as far as I can tell. They've actually jumped ahead of St. Bonaventure. Don't know if they're better than the Bonnies, but resume-wise, wow. Davidson is your highest-ranked team in the net. As a, as as the former um, 
former M, uh, master of ceremonies of A10 Media Day pre-pandemic. I would agree yeah. with that. I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. Um, in the court report on Thursday, on Wednesday, I had someone ask me in the mailback section how many bids for the A10, and then I looked. I'm like, mark me down for two. Like maybe Davidson might have an at-large case. Bonnie's like one of those who probably wins the conference tournament. Then the other one maybe has a case. Um, it's just you know, it, it seems like a two-bid league. So anyway, Davidson uh beating bama the way it did you know bob mckillop's one of the longest tenure coaches in the game and prepping for him and his style if you don't play that kind of team and alabama frankly doesn't play a team that runs its stuff the way davidson does all that often granted davidson doesn't play a lot of teams that play like bama as well um it was a great win by a wily old coach i'm a i'm concerned is not i wouldn't say concerned but you look at the losses uh you know <laughs> Uh, these these older they, they, they have a weird they have they have a weird resume. They uh, do like they a, got they got big wins over Gonzaga and Houston, and then the losses are Iona, Davidson, Memphis. And you got done by Patino and and Bob McKillop. Like that's that's not exactly the most shameful thing out there. Um, just two of the more veteran and and savviest coaches. Like if you if you if you actually pulled like you know every single coach in the top ten conferences and said list out your your twenty best coaches in the game. And you and you had a top twenty from there. I'm telling you, Patino and Bob McKillop are easily in the top twenty, and Patino's going to be in the top ten, and McKillop actually might have a ch- chance of cracking the top ten. So my point is, like those losses are to teams that aren't, you know, for sure making the tournament, but they're coached by a high basketball minds. So there's no shame in that. And then the Memphis loss. I mean, goodness, uh, you know, they got completely tossed out of their their element there, and. You know, Bama's nine and three. I still, they were my pick to win the SEC. I'm not going to step off that. Now, the SEC is, we met, we said this in the preseason, it still stays true. Like the, the, the league race is going to be really compelling. You could have a situation, I would not be surprised at all if on January 10th, there's a team that's in first in that league. It's different on February 10th, and it's different again with a third team on March 10th. I think that's entirely the case with the SEC at this point because Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, which is still undefeated, Kentucky, Auburn all in the mix there not to mention not you know I don't think Florida will wind up being there but they can they can certainly be a a top three top four team in the mix there Arkansas has appeared to be a bit fraudulent but it was a preseason top four team in that league going in there so the SEC is going to be the best league race in men's college basketball this season and so I've got much less confidence now than I did six weeks ago that Alabama would be the best team in the league Um, there's a common thread between the three Alabama losses and it's that they shot below their season average from three point range. And as we've discussed many times, they are committed to launching from beyond the arc. They're going to do it. And it's interesting because this stuff's not hard to figure out. Like why, why was Alabama awesome last season playing basically the same way, but you know, seems a little more vulnerable this season. And there's really like, there's three main numbers to look at with Alabama tempo uh, percentage of shots from three and defensive efficiency last season they were 11th in tempo played fast third in adjusted defensive efficiency according to Kempom they really guarded you and 46.5 percent of their field goal attempts came from three they made 35.2 of those they averaged 27.6 three-pointers per game and they made 9.7 that was last season and they were your outright SEC champs and your SEC tournament champs. I've seen some people say this season that they're taking too many threes. 
not really any different than what they were doing last season. So last season, 46.5% of their field goal attempts were from three. This season, it's 46%. They're actually taking a little less of a percentage of their shots from three this season. Um, if it wasn't a problem last season, it shouldn't be a problem this season. Um, the problem this season and is that um, they don't guard the same way. They were third in adjusted defensive efficiency last season. Right now, they're 52nd in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So one of the points I had made over and over again last season was that um, they're going to guard you, they're going to play fast, and they're going to launch from three. And when they bomb on you, when they knock down 15, 16, something like that, they're going to blow you out. It is why going into the tournament, I said I thought the one team that could beat Gonzaga, even if Gonzaga played well, Gonzaga plays poorly, like a lot of teams could beat them. But I said going into the tournament last season, the one team that can beat Gonzaga, even if Gonzaga plays well, is Alabama. Now, I was wrong. Baylor should have also been on that list. Should have been two teams. But the reason I said Alabama is because Alabama is going to shoot, um, you know, they're going to shoot 27, 28, 29 threes on you. And if they make 13, 14, 15 of them, you're in trouble. If they make 18 of them, you're going to get blown out. Um, they're They're playing the same way this season. The problem is that last season, if they made them, they could bomb you. And if they missed them, they could still they could still beat you because they guarded so well. Well, this season, both things are uh, one of those things is still true. If they make them, because they're going to take, you know, right now they're taking, um, I think, 29 threes a game. If they make 14, 15, 16, they're going to beat anybody. But when they're not making them like they didn't against Iona, like they didn't against Memphis, like they didn't against Davis, they don't guard the same way. So now when they're not making them, they can't be. I'm not saying they can't beat you. I'm just saying that's the common denominator in those losses. Last season, they were good enough defensively to beat good teams, even when they weren't making shots. Now they're not guarding well enough on the defensive end to beat you when to beat good teams when they're not when they're making shots and that that's a, a slightly oversimplified way to look at it. But like everything I just told you is true. It's to the other team in the SEC that looked pretty good last night. Cause we, you know, we got to talk about this. Oscar Sheboy is a monster. This dude got 14 points and a Rupp arena record, 28 rebounds in a 95 60 blowout of Western Kentucky, 28 rebounds in 35 minutes on the court. What? Awesome. We love it. Um, by the way, it, it overshadowed the fact that Kellen Grady hit six threes at a game high 23 points, which was that's th those are those are good gains. Um, I, I kind of like that Cal put Shibuya back in. They want the, they want everyone wanted him to go back in because they had they had the game in hand and he could have finished with, you know, five or six fewer boards. But uh, yeah, man, how about so here's the notes on 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 Big Oscar here. So breaks the previous Rupp Arena mark by Shaq in 1990. Shaq had 21 boards at Rupp Arena. Now Oscar has that. Um, the most rebounds for a Kentucky player in a regular in a regulation game, non-overtime, in 52 years. 52 years was the last time someone had more than 28 in regulation. Dennis had 29 against LSU in nice, 1969. Um, Sheba's 28 boards are the most in a D1 game since Kendall Gray, as Parrish knows this, obviously. He's very familiar with Kendall Gray uh, from Delaware State in 2015. And my favorite stat of the night, Sheba had 28 boards. Western Kentucky 
had 27. He out-rebounded the entire team, man. He, he out-rebounded a group of hilltoppers. And and one of those hilltoppers is seven feet five. Jamarian Sharp. Uh, just ridiculous, man. You know, it's the most rebounds by any SEC player in at least 20-plus years there. And let's see what he – I didn't check this before. I'm going to bring this up right now. Oscar Sheboy. What do you ask, need to know? What do you need to know? I can tell you. His, I know his everything. Rebound, his rebound average on the season right now as of this morning. His uh, offensive rebounding percentage. I is, need his rebound average. What is, is he averaging? Is, what, what, he's averaging 15.5 rebounds per game. There we go. Okay, so he was under 14 last night, and now he's at, he's at 16.1 points, 15.5 boards. Awesome performance by Oscar. Over under 0.5 games, Oscar Shibway has at least 26 rebounds for the rest of this season. Under. I mean, 28 is ridiculous. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Give me over. Let's see. Let's toss up that poll real quick in the chat. By the way, we do have trivia time Christmas gifts podcast coming in a bit here. Okay. Thank you for everyone watching. So Paris is going under. I'm saying one more game for Shibuya this season. We'll have it. He'll have at least 26. I don't know if he'll match 28 again. I'll go at least 26. And as we mentioned recently on a podcast, I talked to Shibuya two weeks ago, maybe. I talked to him after, I can't remember what game. But we talked for like 20 minutes. He, he talked about on the ride home, but like I hear him checking into his dorm. Like he was just, he was going on about uh, how much like rebounding means everything to him. He completely embraces it. Wonderful quote. Really, really nice uh, young man. And he's got a great spirit about him. You can just tell like Kentucky's got a good thing going this year for a lot of reasons. And by the way, Grady, she, these are transfers. Like they're making a real impact on what Kentucky can do. But it almost feels like his essence in that locker room is is really what's going to lift up and give Kentucky a shot at winning the SEC, getting a good seed, going deep in the tournament. We'll see. He just has, I mean, he's a force, man. Love to watch him. Love to, uh, love to see him uh, do as well as he did. And oh, by the way, that game against Western Kentucky, obviously scheduled, you know, Day before whatever we talked about that on the podcast it raised i guess a hundred thousand dollars for tornado relief so the, the university of kentucky as i understand it has helped raise more than five million dollars for tornado relief for western kentucky and surrounding uh parts of that region which is phenomenal uh and a great story as we lead up into christmas um another stat i saw from espn stats and info last night there have been three 10.20 rebound games by a kentucky player in the past 25 seasons, and all three of them belong to Oscar Sheepway. Like, think about all the dudes who have played there. I know. Carl Anthony Towns, DeMarcus Cousins. I know. And nobody, there have been three 10.20 rebound games in the past 25 seasons at UK. All three belong to Oscar Sheepway, and he's only played 11 games at UK. He's now up to number one in the Kimpom Player of the Year rankings. He's got the best defensive rebounding percentage and the best offensive rebounding percentage of any player in the country according to Ken Palm defensive rebounding percentage 36.6 offensive rebounding percentage 24.0 and if he's able to maintain that 24.0 it would be the highest ever recorded ever recorded in the Ken Palm database that dates back to 2003-2004 season as it pertains to this particular stat Trivia time. Fire it. A pit Panther mm. has the highest offensive rebounding rate ever in the Ken Palm era. Can you name him? 
It's a pit panther. Player's name is it's it's right here. It's right here. It's up here. Oh man. Um is it is it is it a gettable pit panther? Like as soon as I say his name, you'll say ah. Hey man. This is horrendous because I know this dude's name. As soon as you as soon as I say his name, you're gonna know his name. Okay, it's not McGee, but I think it's 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 the guy who had a little stock to him, little strength. Give me a second. Gary McGee is the one that got crossed by Kimbo. <laughs> I was there. I was at MSG. No, it's um, it's, he didn't have a great vertical. Terrible knees. Like, actually had something wrong with his knees that cost him in the NBA draft because, like, doctors were like, his knees are – he doesn't – like, the stuff I have in my knees and the stuff you have in his knees, he, didn't have, it. It, he didn't have it in his knees. I got a clue. I can't, I can't accept this one. Trivia time's going forward. I love the live chat element, but this is the guy I was thinking. I can't take except Dewan Blair is who I couldn't think of. That's it, it right? Is, yeah, It is Dewan Blair. So future trivia times, I got to close the comments section here on our little uh, back end so I didn't see it because I saw it. I was like, yep, that's who it is, Dewan Blair. Dewan yep. Blair had an offensive rebounding percentage of 23.6 in the 2008-2009 season. By the way, did you know this? Oscar Shibwe also led the nation in offensive rebounding percentage in 2020 as a freshman at West I did Virginia. know that, yes. I did. Of course, of course you did, but you didn't know Dewan Blair or RJ Barrett. How about this? I did all of this prep work mm-hmm. last night before I went to Ben. Yeah. And I, I am so tired right now. I woke up seven times in the middle of the night with, with crazy dreams. Dewan Blair? No, I'm going to tell you two dreams I had. The first dream I had was me and Nate Oates. We're at your house helping you hang curtains. Okay. Me, me you, and Nate Oates were hanging curtains. I had a dream about that last night. And then I woke up and I was like, what what in the world was that about? I went back to sleep and I had a dream that I was playing golf with Oscar Sheepley. (laughs) And how about this? I lost my clubs in the middle of the round. And I'm like, "Where, where are my clubs? He rebounded and, them all. And like that was the that was the 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 majority of the dream. Me and Oscar Sheway were looking for my clubs. We're going back in the clubhouse. We're walking around looking behind trees. I'm like, this is I and, and when I woke up, I was like, How could you even lose your clubs in the middle? You like it's impossible to do. You wouldn't happen. But that was the thing. Me and Oscar Sheway were playing golf and then my clubs disappeared. And then we were me and Oscar Sheway were looking for my clubs everywhere. Those are and like I had a and I'd go back to sleep and sometimes does this ever happen to you? Your dreams pick up where they left off. Very seldomly, but it I ha- do dream about the occasional. I'm not ashamed. Of, I'd say like once a month, a college basketball coach will pop into. Uh, they'll pop into my dreams and I can't get rid of them. Like they got rid of me. That's a Ben Folds lyric, by the way. Um, so the next time this happens, if I can remember it, because I've had some weird ones, man. Like me, what the hell are you doing here? Me, no, me, Nato. Me, you, and Nato's were hanging curtains at your house. <laughs> and I was talking to him about all this stuff I was saying about Alabama. I was talking to him about it. I was like, well, you know, it just looks like the problem isn't. I was like, Nate, as we're hanging curtains, I was like, Nate, like I've heard some people say you're shooting too many threes. But, like, I don't think that's really the problem. You're not really shooting too many threes. Um, it's just, like, you're not guarding well enough to 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 overcome mysteries. Um you know, and win a game against a quality opponent the way you were able to do it last season. And he was up there hanging curtains. He's like, I know, GP. I know <laughs> the whole thing's outrageous. Those are my dreams. I'm so tired. I got to get a nap in today because I was, I, I woke up feeling like I haven't slept at all. 
Okay. Don't worry. I got, I'm, I'm carrying the final 15 minutes of this show. I got, I got, I got content. I got trivia times before that though. We got to at least mention there was a compelling ACC game on Wednesday night. Duke is the only team in the AP top 25 from that conference. It trailed at the half for the first time this season. And then you look up second half adjustments, they get it done and Duke wins. And there was some, I, I thought, and I'm going to note this in my power rankings for Thursday as well. I thought there was a new reason for more optimism for Duke fans about why this team really could separate itself from the rest of the league. There's no question. And it was uh, AJ Griffin. He was five of seven from the field, 13 points. It was a 76 65 victory um, over Virginia tech. And he's now scored in double figures in three of Duke's past four games. Um, we've talked about him before. He was the third five-star freshman on the roster. Um, the other projected one-and-done lottery pick, like Paulo Bencaro, and he had a preseason knee injury, and he missed time and fell behind and barely played um, early in the season. But now they're starting to work him into the rotation. He's starting to look more like himself, and there's nothing original about this point. But, like, Duke – rose to number one in the country in the AP poll while getting nothing from A.J. Griffin, nothing. But now they're starting to get him comfortable and starting to get him into a rhythm. And I guess I just put it this way. How good can Duke be um, when they add another projected lottery pick to the rotation? Because that's what that's more or less what they've just done. Duke has a chance here to kind of firmly established itself as a top five level team week over week over week. If Griffin's going to be this good. I mean, Ben Carroll put up a, you know, a workman like 23 and eight here. Keels will give you a couple moments each game that, um, that given that just reminds you of, of really the, the change from a season ago with this team. And I, I did think like that first half Virginia tech made it a good game. And Mike Young's team was able to, um, you know, Drop a couple crosses on uh, on on Duke's face there, and then Mike Krzyzewski made the adjustments, and and Griffin was. I was kind of wondering how much of an impact he, player he would be this season because I know his reputation coming out of high school, how how good he was, um, but I didn't necessarily anticipate him being anything better than the fifth best player. And I don't know, like they didn't get anything out of Mark Williams on Wednesday, and again, it's 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 a nice luxury to have when. If you have everyone click and then look out, but you know, you don't need, you know, humongous performances out of only like two players. That's not the case here. Griffin's coming along very well. Wendell Moore is one of the few players in the country averaging north of, you know, like 16, 17 points, five assists, five boards a game. They just got a lot there. And it was a, it was a good win for the Blue Devils, who I think objectively look like a top three team in the country now. All right. What you got to close this thing out? I'm sleepy. So I got all sorts of stuff here. So we're going to bring it on. Bring it up here. Oh, wow. Little, little Christmas. Come on now. Forgot to bring my Snoopy Christmas mug. I'm not sure. Board. I'm not sure if you recognize how loud that is. Okay, I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I got the cans on this. L- listeners in real time can let me know. That, that bed seems, seems pretty good here. So, we got a trivia time coming. I'm telling you, it's definitely loud. <laughs> bring it down even more. How's that one for you? Good? Whatever. I don't care anymore. Okay. What is today? A Festivus for the rest. That's right. Festivus. Okay. We're going to get with some grievances. Are you aware of the Festivus grievances, GP? 
I'm familiar with it because people, boy, do people love to bring it up. Um, but I, like I've said many, many times, I, I'm a, I love Kirby enthusiasm. I've seen every episode. Um, at the time, Seinfeld was a big thing. Um, you know, that was before DVRs and, um, you know, um, stream anytime. And, uh, you know, I was busy doing other things. I wasn't sitting at home like a nerd watching TV. I was out trying to, I was out trying to have premarital sex. I was 15, not out trying to have premarital sex and uh, loving Seinfeld. Taping it on the VCR, by the way. <laughs> Someone goes, that is unthinkably loud. This is like two minutes ago. I appreciate your help because I don't have, again, I got, the, I, got, I got the buffer here. I got the buffer. So it's, you're a little softer in my ears than normal. I'm told that volume is good. That's right. Festivus. Here's the rule. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. Okay, I got, first, Anada, you're on the clock. I need at least one Festivus grievance. Parrish, also gonna need a Festivus grievance. I got 10 Festivus slash Christmas take grievances, okay? Let's go. Well, you give me two, so I have like some guideline, and then I'll tell you what, I'll tell you. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going hot here, okay? First of all, Villanova, you're killing me. Preseason top three team for me, eight and four, rebounded well. Against Xavier, I like that 71-58 win. Got to be better. I don't have a lot of college basketball grievances here, though. Other grievance, the Omicron variant. Are you kidding me with this thing? You're literally killing us. Enough. Dumbest pandemic of our lifetime. Do you remember when we were together on the opening night of the season at the Champions Classic? I do remember that. You know, the Delta variant was out there. We were aware. We were taking our precautions, but we were we were fully vaxxed. I believe you were boosted. I was soon to be boosted. No Omicron variant on the mind. Huge issue with the Omicron variant. Get out of all of our faces forever. I got a grievance with the folks who are obsessed at pushing back on the notion that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. For those of us that are correct and understand that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Can you let us live our lives, please? All right? So what's happened here is you got a whole bunch of folks that want to rain on the parade. Can you just let it be? This has become an issue the past two or three years. Have you ever seen Die Hard? Sure. Have I ever seen Die Hard? Like six episodes of Seinfeld ever, man. I don't know. Of course I've seen Die Hard. All the Die Hards. I love those Die Hards. We got a viewer in the chat saying, I listened to the pod when Norlander played his own Christmas music. Accurate. And I have a trivia time tied to throwback days coming soon. But we're going we're going classy Christmas bed here. The diehard haters, back off. I got an issue with thirsty Christmas trees. Why is it that I walk away from this thing four, after, four hours after I fill it up with water and it needs to drink again? Mm. What are we doing here? By the way, no idea if sugar works just been doing it for 20 years mom said put sugar in the water in the christmas tree maybe i need to stop doing that thirsty christmas trees don't like it got an even bigger grievance with people that insist that fake trees are better than real trees that's never true are we on the same page we have a real tree gotta have a real tree get that fake stuff out of my life we have a we have a real we have a real tree i got a serious issue i got a grievance i got a big problem with the lack of songwriting ingenuity over the past 25 years when it comes to christmas tunes where are our modern holiday classics? Mariah Carey wrote a banger in 93 that I'm not, you know, I'm not over the moon for, but I got to admit, it's a banger. It's a, right? 
It's a banger. All I, 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 re- I read something where um, there's been like billions of streams of that. She's made so much money off of that off of that song every Christmas season. I believe it. Banger, undeniably. Since then, what's going on? Don't give me like, don't give me in sync. All right, none of that stuff. My wife loves like the in sync Christmas album. Amanda Amanda Shires just put out a Christmas album. Have you tried that? I need modern classics. It's Michael Bublé and Josh Groban carrying the gang for the past twenty years here. I, Every Christmas list is populated with tunes that were written between 1952 and 1987 for the most part. Side note, pro or con, wonderful Christmas time, Paul McCartney. For you, pro pro or con? I'm I'm pro. And John John Lennon's... um, Happy Christmas. Yeah. I'm, I'm way pro on Lennon. Wonderful Christmas time, horrendous. Terrible. Now I might be getting to a point here where I'm it's flipping me, okay? But I've hated it for 20 years. Here we go, a little reindeer action for Parish. I just cannot stand that music anymore. (laughs) We're it's it's coming switching up soon enough here. All right. I got an issue with the song White Christmas because every year I want a white Christmas. I've lived in the Northeast since 1991 and had maybe six white Christmases ever. Unreasonable expectations. I bet you've never had a white Christmas. Of course I have. Um, we've had them, even here in the South. Um, but we went to Telluride for Christmas, um, Colorado, uh, a few years ago. My favorite Christmas ever. Um, but the problem becomes, because it's beautiful. You wake up, you're in the mountains, and uh, we had no responsibilities. Like, we let the kids open some presents, then we went sledding. We came back, like, just... Uh, you know, walk to a pizza place for lunch. We didn't have to be anywhere, which I enjoy. Problem is, of course, that, uh, you know, my, my kids have grandparents and the grandparents like to see their grandchildren on Christmas. And so we got guilt tripped into never doing that again. But if nobody else's feelings mattered, I would do it. I would go to tell you ride for Christmas every every single every. I remember Christmas. that because you you, my friend. Not a skier. I'm not a skier. And I was I was trying to coach you up beforehand. I remember your wife sending me video. I don't think I have that anymore, but she shot a video. You coming down that mountain, buddy? Woo. It's tough. I, I here's here was my experience with uh, snow skiing. Day one, I hated it. I never wanted to do it again. By the end of day two, I was having a good time, and uh, day three was fun. Yeah, I love it. Can't wait to get back on the slopes here. Couple more. I hope you got a grievance locked and loaded. Nada, I'm coming to you too. I got an issue with the gift card people, and I feel like Paris is a gift card person. Do better. I'd rather you donate to the human fund than give me a gift card, all right? Give me nothing before you give me a gift card. Thoughts? Well, just don't give me a a gift card to a specific place because I lose those. You know, like, um, hey, here's a $50 gift card to Outback. Well, like, when am I going to Outback, you know? (laughs) What are we doing? I I, I honestly, I'm going – if you give me the over under 17 years since I sat in an Outback, I'm taking the over. Yeah, like I don't even remember the last time I was in an Outback. Although that Bloomin' Onion, it's it, pretty good. People can get to jokes off if they want to, but that thing's dip it in that stuff and eat it. It's good. I enjoy it. I enjoy a Bloomin' Onion. Maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll ask for an Outback card now that I'm thinking about it. But I like a Visa gift card, you know, first off, I don't need anybody's. Like, I don't. I don't. Here's the thing. Here's actually my biggest issue with Christmas. I don't need anything or even want anything because I know this sounds terrible, but I'm just being honest with you. Such a Grinch. Anything I want, I get. 
I don't want for things over long periods of time. I don't. The music, the music switch, as Parrish is talking about how rich he is, is amazing. By the way, that's not what I mean. I just mean like I don't. I don't sit around going, man. I I would really like to have this new iPhone. I'll I'll ask for that for Christmas. I just say I'd really like to have a new iPhone. I'm gonna go get one right now. Yeah, I, that's I just I I get when I want something, I get it. And then, then it comes Christmas time, and inevitably, you know, uh, my father or my mother, anybody other, like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I don't want anything. I don't, I don't want anything because I, I have everything that I want. I, 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 I like, I have everything I want. I'm lucky. <laughs> Just incredible. I got three more. Eggnog. I'm out. Always have been. Always will be. Get it out of my house. Get it out of my fridge. Get it out of my neighborhood. Eggnog is trash. But I feel like you're in on eggnog. I don't, I, I'm not anti-eggnog the way I'm anti-black olives. But I don't like... I'd rather die than have a black olive. I think the only thing I hate more than black olives are onions. Terrible. Oh, man, I love onions. Can't stand, uh, onions are just horrendous. Yeah. Dude, you're out of your mind. Onions are great. No, no. I love I put onions on everything. Except for cereal. We got a Matt is trash eggnog rips comment in the last... Eggnog yeah, got- is awful. I'm not against eggnog, but like I will never buy it for myself. I'll never say, you know what? I'd really enjoy some eggnog right now. That's never going to be something that comes out of my mouth. Let me ask you something. Go ahead. We're on Festivus right now. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. You you, you dipping into some uh, some milk and sugar cookies tomorrow night? No, I don't really eat cookies. I don't really enjoy cookies. Man. Like I'm not against cookies. Like, I, you know, if you put one out there, I'll eat it. You know, but yeah. I will never like I'm not the guy who's going to be at the grocery store buying a box of cookies or anything like that. I don't really enjoy cookies. That much. By the way, this thing with eggnog, eggnog with bourbon or rum. Just drink the bourbon. Get the eggnog out of here. Two more. I got a huge issue with toy security and packaging in the modern era. You need a pair of scissors. You need a wrench and the vice grip of a grizzly to open these toys, man. Like serious threats at, at, at slicing up your fingers and the webbing between. You with me? Say that again. You buy your kids toys for Christmas. They want them open. There's no simple tearing of the packages these days. You ha- I don't. <laughs> you actually, no, actually, actually you no, I don't. I have my butler open all of my children's gifts. I haven't encountered this since at least 2007 or Dude. 2008, so Dude. I'm unfamiliar with this. I swear to God, I know I shouldn't say any of this. Oh, God. My wife hired somebody to come to our house today to put all of our kids' presents together. (laughs) I swear to you. She said so-and-so will be here around noon to put everything together. Amazing. (laughs) I don't know how to do it. It's not even like I don't have time to do it. I I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to put things together. I can't put things together. Like, I have some skills. I can rank teams, but I cannot put things together. Like, if you give me instructions and say, put this together, I can't do it. So my wife just leaves me out of the equation. Literally hired literally hired somebody to come put our toys together. Amazing. Last grievance is on me and my own threats about Santa Claus to my kids. It ain't working. Santa's watching. You're not going to get any toys. I'm owning myself on a daily basis over the past couple of days. Santa's Santa's power over my children does not exist. 
And I'm lost right now. I'm in a blender. My, my, you know, my three-year-old, <laughs> nothing. Like he owns the place. Santa holds no power over him. So my last grievance is with myself and my inability to properly threaten my children and Santa and what he can and can't bring to the house. Dude, my kids are out of control. Like, don't even talk to me about it. Completely out of control. Like, I, they have gated. They just, they take all the Gatorade bottles. Like, they're in the friends come over and they, we got like a fridge, got a bunch of, you know, drinks in it. And they take Gatorades and they take one drink and then they, they play the bot. They get just enough of the liquid out of it so they can play the flip the bottle game. So I've got like 11 kids in, that's an exaggeration, six kids in the driveway playing flip Gatorade bottles. And they leave all the bottles out there. And I, so I look at my little guys and I'm like, yo, you cannot just leave the driveway covered in Gatorade bottles. You have to go, you have to go pick up the Gatorade bottles. I can't. What do you mean you can't? How can you not pick up Gatorade bottles? You've been flipping them for two hours. Yeah. Meltdown City. And they won't do it. And then what, what are you supposed to do when they just will not do it? I know somebody's <laughs> going to say punch them, but you can't punch your kids. No, you cannot. Can't punch your kids. We got to do trivia time. By the way, we're bumping up in real time here. My wife has to go to my son's kindergarten class and help with Christmas here. So we got a few minutes before I got to bounce. But I promised you trivia time. But I also promised Nada on the mic. Nada, you exist. You're real. I want one Festivus grievance up in this podcast. Say hello to our listeners and viewers. Hello, everybody. I, I am real. Um, I, we will establish that, that now I'm in continuity. But also, uh, my one Festivus grievance can we stop playing the same five Christmas songs over and over? You've got James Brown go straight to the Santa goes straight to the ghetto. We have a vast, vast Clarence, Clarence Carter, Backdoor Santa. Great song. We can Backdoor stop Santa playing the wild. same five songs over and over. We can diversify the portfolio like Wu-Tang Financial. Love it. That's great. He's right, by the way. Some really good... By the way, follow Nada on Twitter, at Nada the Scribe. That's Nada, N-A-T-A, the Scribe. GP, before I get this trivia time in, hmm. can you give me one? Can you give me a, a Festivus grievance? I get frustrated by, uh, really, all my grievances have to do with social media. Okay. I, I get very frustrated with it's people. It's like an every week thing on the show. Yeah, I just get frustrated with people on social media. Like, stop... Stop sending me ridiculous questions or or ridiculous comments. Like the other day, um, I retweeted that John Calipari had uh, gotten his entire team boosted, and immediately people were like, "Well, that won't, you know, well that doesn't help you not get COVID nineteen." And it's like, you know, there's actual like studies that have been done, reports released by the CDC. Um, they're all easy to find that it does being boosted does lessen the likelihood that you'll get COVID, lessen the likelihood that if you do get it, you'll get sick, and lessen the likelihood that if you do get it, you'll die. But yes, also lessens the likelihood that that you'll get it to begin with. And people just, like, I can't, they, they, there must be a million people in my mentions arguing the other side of that. It just drives me crazy. Like, I can't, I, it, I, 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 I hate people who reject facts. Like, I like, like if I said Oscar Shibway grabbed 28 rebounds last night and somebody wanted to in argue intensely that he didn't. That's what we deal with a lot on social media. 
So, like, um, I guess any any grievances would start right there for me. Let's, let's get, we should be able to agree on facts. I agree with you on that. By the way, battery officially on red. I'm in trouble right now. Let's get to the trivia time for the live <laughs> YouTube listeners. Now, I want you to throw up that gorgeous Ion College Basketball pint glass on the screen here. I'm going to give you three questions. You need to have a Twitter account or an Instagram account so we can DM you to get your information. If these answers don't come in correctly, we're not giving them away. I got three questions here. Answer live in the chat now. The first correct answer, Nada has the answers, will win. First one, what was the name of the Ion College Basketball Podcast before it was the Ion College Basketball Podcast, and I hosted it, and what year did this podcast first start? That's a tricky one. I don't know if anyone's going to get this. I don't even know that. That's right. What year did this podcast start, and what was the name of it before it got transformed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast? That is question number one. You have to have the name and the year. I don't know if someone's going to get that one. You need to be a true OG, and we got a lot of newbies. We got a lot of noobs in the room. I'm, I, look at this. 2013, get out of my face. 2002, podcast didn't exist. That's number one. I don't, I don't think anyone's getting that one. So we might be giving away two pint glasses. Again, if you are accurate and right, Nada will let you know, but we need your either your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle so we can DM you and exchange information so that you can get an eye on college basketball pint glass. Again, I'm seeing years in the comments. I need the name of this podcast before it was Eye on College Basketball. I ran an independent website. That's a big giveaway there. Okay, question number two, basketball related. I really hope my computer doesn't die midstream. Last night, John Fulkerson tied the Tennessee men's basketball record for most games played in a Vol uniform. Who does he currently share the record with? What Tennessee player? This is more searchable. I tried to get stuff that wasn't searchable. That is question number two. I think that one's going to wind up with someone getting a, getting a pint glass. Last one. And keep answering in real time. I want to get all three of these in. How did dead arm Gary Parrish get his dead arm nickname? What was – it was a couple years back. So, again, if you're a noob, I'm sorry. you got to have been listening to this podcast for a couple years here. What was Parrish destroying <laughs> when he went dead arm? What was he destroying when th that led to him getting a dead arm? There was also a certain um, tool he was using. I feel if I mention the tool, it'll be, I already see a correct answer in the comments there. I see a correct <laughs> answer in the comments there. I think that's accurate. Do you see Mr. Jared Fields? Yes, that's right. A double tennis elbow. I legitimately had double tennis elbow after trying to smash a place a, a swing set slash play set with a sledgehammer bought on Amazon.com. Rather than rather than you know take a take it apart with tools, I decided I could just get a sledgehammer and break it into pieces and then take it to the road. And by swinging that sledgehammer. Um, as often as I did, as hard as I did, I, uh, I created double tennis. I, I created double tennis elbow. It hurt, man. That was rough. That was a rough, that was a rough period of my You are life. the arbiter of this because I'm going, the card says moops on the crowd here. Was it technically a play set or a swing set? I mean, it was, it had swings on it. But what, would you define it as a play set or a swing set? Because we, we got a couple answers here. Well, I mean, I would define it as both. Like it had a it had a clubhouse on it and a swings and a slide and a. To me, that's a play set, not a swing set. 
I mean, it had swings on it. I know, but a swing set, I think, is a standalone deal. But it's it's ultimately up to you. If you want to say swing set, we have a different winner. That's all I'm saying. I would argue that anybody who said play set or swing set is accurate. So whoever said one of those things first is your winner. Okay. Fair enough. Um, those are the three trivia questions. Again, what was the name of this podcast before was I on college basketball and what year did it start? Who currently shares the record for most Tennessee games played? We do have a correct answer. I don't know if he's – it's in the chat. I don't know if you were first, but the answer is one, Wayne Chisholm. That's Wayne correct. Chisholm. Wayne Chisholm. That's my little homie from, from, from near Memphis. He's not little. <laughs> That's my little homie from near Memphis. And I don't know if the first one's going to be got. I might hang on to that one for a future episode. Again, if you have not liked this podcast, please do so. Subscribe. Spotify, like 100-plus people gave it five stars on Spotify. Everyone, please have a safe, merry Christmas. If you enjoyed this on Christmas Eve or Christmas, we hope this segment, well, made it all the more enjoyable for you. It might be the longest one of the season here, but it was awesome. I hope so. I love doing this show with you. Nada, thank you for making this a wonderful start. And as we wrap up, before you do the shouts, I mean, I got 4% battery. I'm, I'm <laughs> I literally might drop out on the live stream. There are no, there are basically almost no games till our next one. Are you good with doing a little year in review? Because there's not going to be a ton to talk about. And we're going to give a Sunday night episode. A little year in review. We did that, we did that, I think, last year, the year before. A little, have a little fun, a little look back. Oh, well, let's, let's think on it. Okay. I'm I'm good. If Parrish doesn't want to do a year in review, I'm bringing at least 10 minutes to a year in review. That's all. Maybe, maybe I'll just set you up for your own year in review. Right, and, I'll, set me and, up. and I'll sit here like this. Shouts <laughs> to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Austin Allen, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again. Listen to Iron College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. So stupid. So stupid with this Omicron. My God, get out of my face with this. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe. Anyway, you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, five-star reviews. If you got the time, if you've ever had sex before you were married, we need a five-star review. For, there's more of us, more of us than there are of them. Don't ever forget that. We're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Have a Merry Christmas. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-average do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.